I'm Margaret Feinberg, and this is the Joycast. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Joycast, the hap, hap, happiest half hour of your week. As always, I'm your host, Margaret Feinberg. And in case you are wondering, fresh fig season is here. Woohoo! Well, if you haven't heard, we're spending six Joycast episodes diving into the taste and see, discovering God among butchers, bakers, and fresh food makers Bible study. I'm encouraging you to reach out to your friends, neighbors, and people who would never go to church and invite them to your front porch or home for the six-session DVD Bible study, where we're going to talk about all things food and faith. So each week, I'm interviewing people featured in the book alongside some surprise guests. Last week, in session one, we tackled the notions of hospitality with Sarah Harmeyer of Neighbor's Table. And I heard from so many of you that you loved her just as much as I do. That was an incredible interview. And it's been so fun to put so many of the tips for hospitality that she taught us into practice. But as we enter session two of Taste and See, well, friends, it is all about the fruit. And that's why I'm so excited to have Kevin Herman, one of the premier fig farmers in the United States who is featured in the Taste and See book on today's episode. Maybe, like me, you never really thought about figs before. Maybe, like me, you thought figs were just like every other fruit. Maybe, like me, you're going to be fascinated just at what Christ was communicating when he talked about figs. So pull up a chair as we dive into this delicious discussion. Kevin Herman, it is so great to have you on the Joycast. Thank you. So I got to know you as I traveled to, is it Madera, California? That's correct. And drove up to specialty crops in your business. And you opened up a world that I had never known before. And that is the incredible world of figs. Now, I know a lot of our listeners would love to know, how, how did you even end up growing and nurturing figs? Well, I uh, was going to Fresno State. I uh, was working for a uh, company that was planting a big fig ranch at the time one of the biggest around. And uh, before I graduated from college, they uh, came to me and said, look, we we need someone full-time and we would love to hire you. So um, I put off graduation from college and took the job and haven't looked back. And I've I've, uh, went from working for them to working for another farm management company to uh, in 1989, going out and starting my own company. And how many acres of figs do you either grow or manage across the United States? We farm about 4,500 acres, and that's about, depending upon uh, who you want to listen to, 55 to 60 percent of the entire fig acreage grown in California. Wow, that is incredible. And what do you love most about growing, nurturing, and then eating, of course, figs? Well, I, I really like the aspect of 
figs being such a, a traditional fruit steeped in religion and, and uh, all the references in the Bible and, and, and uh, that in conjunction with uh, they're really nutritious for you. Um, and also in today's California uh, growing climate, uh, they're, they're a really good crop to be growing in California because they do not require a lot of water or pesticides. So it's kind of the perfect storm. Wow. So are most of the figs that you grow, are they organic? About one third of them are. Um, we, uh, we, so we do both. Now, when I mentioned to my friend Jessica that I was going to be researching and talking about figs, her face wrinkled because she actually stopped eating figs because she had read a series of blog articles that talked about how whenever you are eating a fig, you are eating dead wasps. And I would love for you to tackle this little bit of a fruit myth that has seeped out into the internet universe. Yeah, I'd love to. Um... First of all, what she's describing is a, a variety called Calamerna, which is virtually no longer grown in California. Uh, what, what happens is there's this, this variety that comes from Turkey called a Smyrna fig. And when they brought it to California about a century ago, they dubbed it Calamerna, uh, like the Smyrna. And, and it requires pollination. And the pollination how that takes place is there are these tiny little gnats or wasps that, that have pollen on their body and uh, they fly into the eye or osteol of the fig. And when they do that, the pollen rubs off their wings and uh, thus pollinates the calamerna fig. Well, th there's a whole bunch of half truths in this statement that there's, there's dead bugs in my calamerna figs. Uh, because most of those bugs crawl out. They, they, they do not die inside the fig. And for the, the few that remain, there's a, a, a syrup or a, the sap of the fig is called ficin, F-I-C-I-N. And, and it's, it's highly, highly acidic. And it literally dissolves the bodies of those little bugs. So, so you're not eating the bug per se. Um, but because of the, the, the consumer concerns in California, we've virtually stopped growing that variety. And anything you buy that has a California label on it is, is, does not go through that pollination process. So if you're concerned about, um, about the, the accusation, if you will, um, you should not buy Turkish or, or Greek figs, you should only buy California because ours, we do not grow that variety anymore. Wow, that's a pretty powerful impact from just uh, a few posts being put on the internet to actually wiping out the planting of an entire variety. Now, I remember spending time with you and you describing that there, there were basically about, if I remember, about a handful, maybe five-ish different figs that are the most common and popular and also tasty that we grow in the United States. What are those? Well, uh, the Calamerna replacement was a, a variety uh, propagated by the University of California, and it's called uh, Sierra. And it tastes almost as good, a uh, little bit smaller. Uh, the one uh, negative, that's not negative, it's just a different characteristic of this variety is that pollination does not take place. So the seeds that are on the inside are not as big, 
and those seeds is what imparted or, or gave off that nutty characteristic that you uh, associate with the Calamerna type fig. So, so that's, that's not there, but it's still a really good eating fig and you don't have to worry about the, uh, the insects. Uh, the, the main variety is black mission. That's, uh, been grown in California forever, uh, since Father uh, Junipero Serra came and, and developed all the, uh, established all, all the, uh, the places in California for, for the missions, uh, he brought over this variety from wherever he came from. And, and uh, each mission had this black mission. That's why it's called a mission fig there. And that, that's, that's probably 60% of all the uh, fresh and dried figs grown are that variety. We also have a, a new variety called tiger fig, which has literally got a yellow and green stripe on the outside, and it's bright red raspberry flesh on the inside. Uh, it's more of a fresh fig. Um, we also do cadota figs, which are tend to be smaller. People use them for fresh for uh, making jam. So it's a really uh, ethnic-driven fig, a lot of history and culture uh, with, with, with certain ethnic groups. And uh, we have brown turkey, which is also a fresh fig variety. It's very prolific, and uh, it's, a, it's a good fig variety, fresh fig variety. But uh, something that we've not been able to understand about the brown turkey is it's a great eating piece of fruit when it's fresh, has good flavors. But when it dries down, uh, the flavors go away, and it doesn't have much flavor. So... So those are the main varieties. You know, before I met you, I would read fig tree mentions in the Bible and just skim right over them. I, I honestly barely noticed them. And, and then I started to pay more attention. And I know in Song of Songs 2.13, it says the fig tree forms its early fruit. And I had always thought, oh, cool, cool. So that would mean that the fig tree's fig uh, fruit comes early. But what you began to explain is that the the fig tree doesn't just produce fruit once early. It produces it multiple times a year. Can you explain that for our listeners? Sure. So there's two crops, two very distinct, specific crops. Uh, we call the, uh, the early one the first crop. The technical name is called Breba, B-R-E-B-A. And uh, that uh, is, is a crop that's born off of last year's wood on the tree. And uh, it tends to be... Uh, larger in size, and um, it, it's a really good eating piece of fruit. Matter of fact, we're harvesting that right now. We started last Wednesday, and uh, it's 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 ongoing. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we do that the last couple weeks of June and maybe the first week of July. And there's a little bit of a lag, and then the uh, main crop, which is born on this year's growth, will start uh, in in early August. And that'll go through September. So one of the things I didn't know also before spending time with you is I'd only been exposed to dried figs. I didn't know that there were fresh figs and how incredibly lush and juicy and jammy and fantastic they could taste. And why can we only find fresh figs in the grocery store during very limited times of year? And what time of year should we be looking for those figs that are fresh? Well, the, the grocery stores, um, we love them, but, but, you know, they also cause problems for us. And the, res the respect that they, um, they don't 
want a lot of produce that, that's highly perishable. And then fresh figs are highly perishable, kind of like blueberries or strawberries uh, in, in terms of their, their duration of how long they, they stay good before they start to, to break down. And uh, so there's a little reluctance by some stores to carry fresh figs. And uh, the other problem we have is they, they tend to want to um, just have us pick them on the greener side so that they have a longer shelf life. And um, we're always fighting that. We, we, we're trying to find that, that sweet spot in the middle where um, they're, they're ripe enough that they'll have a good consumer experience, but they're not so ripe that they'll break down uh, after only a couple of days. And therein, therein lies the problem is, is we're constantly going back and forth. So while I would encourage you to, uh, to, to purchase your figs at, at a grocery store, um, in my experience and, and my, my family over the years, we've sold at farmer's markets. And typically what you see at a farmer's market tends to be a day or two riper because uh, we're not so worried about the perishability because it's going to get sold and consumed right away. So um, that, just keep that in mind when you're searching out your figs at farmer's markets. Uh, you tend to get a little bit riper product. So say I'm living in Georgia. And I know that there's a limited weeks during the year to look for fresh figs in my grocery store. When is that? Should I be looking at mid-June? Should I be looking first of July, end of August? When should I be looking for those fresh figs in my local grocery? Starting this week, uh, the, the, you know, June 20th or so until about the 4th of July is when the Bravo or first crop is available. And uh, then there's a lag and uh, the main crop will start up about the 1st of August. And it'll, it'll, we'll have really strong volume through all of August and the first half of September. And then some of the varieties start to, to taper off. But um, last two weeks in June and August are uh, the months that you're going to find them the, the easiest. Wow. I mean, that's pretty tight for a Brava crop. Again, for that first crop, you've only got about 14 days eyeing in the grocery store. I know sometimes I'm able to find them at, at a Trader Joe's or at specialty grocery stores. Unfortunately, here in Utah, we don't have a ton of fig growers. Uh, I haven't seen any present at our farmer's market, but I love hunting them down in the grocery store and purchasing them also just to support you guys and the entire fresh fig industry. It is a privilege and a joy. And when those are ripe and sweet, it is so fantastic. So fantastic. Music, music to my ears. Thank you. <laughs> Now, what I didn't know before I spent time with you was that some of the things that I read in the Bible about fig trees, they just came alive in a different way. And I know one of them that we talked about is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 6 through 8. It says, Then Jesus, he told this parable, A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but it didn't have any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard for three years now, I've been coming back to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. So why is it important that three-year mark with a fig tree producing fruit? You know, there's a little bit of variation from one variety to the other because some bear a little bit earlier or a little bit later. But, but generally speaking, the third year, is when you start to see a little bit of crop. And uh, certainly by the fourth year, you, you, you are definitely having some 
reasonable volume of, of production. Uh, it's just it's constantly amazing to me how these references from over two thousand years ago how how accurate they they were then and and how accurate they still are today. So the advice really of the fig farmer was just wisdom. Hey, we haven't even gotten to the fourth year yet. Give me give me another year to dig around to fertilize it to care for the soil and let's see then if it produces a crop. Apparently, you need to be a uh, have patience to be a farmer then, and you certainly do now as well. Yeah. Now in Matthew twenty four thirty two, uh, it says this. It says, "Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near." And I always read that and thought, "Oh, okay, that's just like every other." Uh, perhaps fruit tree out there that that is summer is coming, the twigs, you know, start to grow in spring. But in at the time, it, it was talking about the sign of the times. But as I spent time with you, you began to, to to describe that a fig tree doesn't really flower or grow or blossom like most other fruit trees. And, and that paying attention to the tenderness of the twigs and the leaves is, is important. Can you talk to me about how figs start to ripen uh, as we move into summer on the tree? Sure. Well, one of the nice things about figs as a grower is they're one of the last trees that uh, to leaf out in the springtime. Uh, but ironically enough, they're one of the first crops that, that we can harvest in the late summer and fall. So um, I, I like the fact that they leaf out later because uh, some of the other crops I grow, like almonds and grapes, that leaf out much earlier, they're vulnerable to uh, f- frost in the springtime or hail. And uh, by the time the figs leaf out, um, most of those dangers have, have come and gone. So um, th- th- I think that's what the, the, ref- the passage is referencing is that, you know, the, the figs really don't leaf out and start to set fruit until it gets warm, until it's the summertime. They, they're not doing it in the springtime like some of these other crops. They're, they're, they truly are a barometer of summertime approaching. And you also described, I remember, that the branches actually become more pliable um, as, they, as it gets closer to the fruit uh, appearing and becoming ripe. And unlike maybe uh, citrus fruit, which would appear for quite a while and continue to grow, the fruit of the fig appears, but it doesn't start to turn color until just before it's about to turn ripe. How Describe that process. How long is it between a fig turning uh, a different color than green and actually being ready to pick? It doesn't take that long. Uh, generally speaking, it's about four or five days from, from the time you start to, start to see it coloring up until it's, it's ripe enough to, to pick and consume. There's the sense you have to pay really close attention. Most definitely. Now, I got the privilege of spending some time with um, some of the people who work for you who are picking the figs. And it's quite a process because I remember going and watching them and they've got poles where they can pull back branches and pick the various fruits. But they go around and they'll walk around a fig tree and pick the ripe ones. And then a few days later, come back and do it again because more have ripened. And a few days later, how long does that process go on that those workers are returning to maybe that same tree to be able to pick and harvest all of the fruit? Well, in weather like today, when it's in the mid-90s and it's not super hot, we'll have that, that picker pick any given tree about every third day. Uh, but if it gets over 100 degrees and, and that speeds up the maturation process, we'll have to pick any given tree every other day. So 
it's a really, really labor intensive crop. And, uh, it, it takes a lot of folks to, uh, to cover the cover an orchard. One of the most remarkable stories of the figs and the fig tree appears in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. Uh, beginning in verse 19, it describes that seeing a fig tree by the road, he, being Jesus, went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves. And then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. And when the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? Uh, another gospel describes Jesus passing by and, and speaking words against the fig tree. And then when they pass by three days later, the tree has withered. Uh, is this possible to even happen? Have you ever seen a fig tree wither uh, within a few days? What can cause that? Uh, there's several things that could cause it. Uh, and I have seen it, unfortunately. Um, the 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 first and most prominent reason for that would be if you have some sort of rodents in the ground, squirrels, or, or uh, more more likely gophers, they'll be chewing on the roots or perhaps girdling around the trunk of the tree so that the xylem and phloem stop flowing. Uh, you can lose a tree really, really quickly by doing that. Um, also, uh, a fig tree is really hardy, but uh, if you're in the middle of a drought and, and you can't get water to the tree, uh, that can also cause cause a tree to wither. But chances are it's got something to do with, with rodent activity. Wasn't there a virus you also mentioned? Yeah, there can be a virus. Um, but Was that the fig leaf mosaic? Yeah, uh, it, it'll, it'll cause a tree to wither, but it will not kill it. And it, it'll, they call it a mosaic. It's almost like back, I'm showing my age when I say back in the 70s and 60s when you, we used to wear those tie-dyed T-shirts. Uh, you get this mosaic look to the fig leaves, and um, that that can cause the tree to wither as well, yeah. Now, as a fig farmer, manager, property grower, all those things, I have a hunch you also know how to cook with figs. And one of the things that we love to do here on the JoyCast is to invite our guests to share a recipe with our listeners. And so I'd love to know from you, what is one of your favorite recipes that involves figs that our listeners could cook to? Well, my wife makes a dessert that I just love. I look forward to once fig season starts. And what she'll do is she'll take a, a dead ripe fig and kind of quarter it uh, so it opens up like a, like a blossom or flower. And uh, once she's done that, she'll take a dollop of mascarpone cheese and uh, put that on there. And uh, then she'll take some pine nuts and she uh, heats them up in the skillet to get the oils toasted. Put some of those pine nuts on there. Sprinkle a little bit of uh, cinnamon on top. And if you're so inclined, uh, something like a, an amaretto, an Italian liqueur, drizzle a little bit of that or, or, or honey, either one, on top. And uh, you've got an amazing dessert that's kind of sort of healthy for you at the same time. That sounds amazing. Ooh, so good. Kevin, I am so grateful for you. Thank you so much for being on the JoyCast. You're more than welcome. Thanks for listening to this edition of The JoyCast. If you've enjoyed today's conversation and you'd like to dive deeper into the unexpected joys awaiting you around your table, check out my new book and Bible study, Taste and See, Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers. These resources will help you savor your life, nourish your friendships, and embark on your greatest faith adventure. 
You can purchase them at your favorite retailer or margaretfeinbergstore.com. If you do, reach out to me on social media or my website and let me know what you think. Until we meet again, bon appetit and amen.